leading the discussion and teaching the Bible study this evening is Matt Gordon. He and his lovely wife, Amy, uh, parent eight awesome children. And they, for the second time in, in July, will be leading a mission trip to the Lakota Sioux Territory of South Dakota, the Pine Ridge Reservation Area. So at this time, Matt, it's all yours, bro. All right, thanks. Well, our scripture tonight, Titus chapter 2, verse 1. These aren't the easy things to cover. <laughs> I had a pastor, you got a pastor friend out in California, and his method of teaching the word is actually not to touch anything controversial at all. <laughs> And I love him to death. I absolutely do. And my, when I talk to him, you know, the gospel is offensive, <laughs> and and the truth that stands forever is going to offend people. And uh, so, if anybody's listening on, I, you know, I've got the, I've got the deepest respect for you guys. I see so many guys are just heroes to the faith. I can't, I can't tell you guys how much it means to me to. For us to, to fellowship here with you guys, it's uh, it's been an amazing time with you all. Uh, if anybody's listening in and should be listening in the future, please listen to everything that I say. <laughs> if you just grab a sound bite and move on, you might miss the big picture and what the Lord's trying to <laughs> what the Lord's trying to show us. And. Uh, well, what I did here in this, guys, I went ahead and put things in outline form for those of you who are very analytically minded like myself. And uh, the second section, I actually have the text there in LITV. The, the LITV version is a pretty amazing study translation. And it's uh, what I chose for this, this uh, type of thing. And its wording is very accurate in how it positions the scripture. It can be available. You can download the LITV. They've open sourced it. It's uh, it's only rarely in print, and I actually did get one of the prints what here about ten years ago. Or? Literal translation. Okay. And uh, the 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 right, just a little history there. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but the the author, I think it's uh, J. P. Green and his guys that they have they've chosen the most accurate uh, and the most plentiful uh, Greek and Hebrew manuscripts to say, okay, if this is most plentiful, and that's what we have, that's what we should be basing our text off of and cut out the minorities, and they built a very accurate translation. And um, and in places where the Greek is very blunt, they leave it very blunt. <laughs> so, uh, But I love it. It's, it's been an amazing study tool. So that's what I chose to use here. And to start with, we'll go ahead and read straight through, and, uh, and then we'll step through bit by bit. won't leave anything behind. So on the second page... But you speak things which become sound doctrine, aged men to be temperate, sensible, discreet, sound in faith, in love, in patience, aged women likewise, in reverent behavior, not slanderers, not having been enslaved by much wine, teachers of good, that they may train young women to be lovers of husbands, lovers of children, discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Younger men in the same way exhort to be discreet, 
having shown yourself a pattern of good works about all things in doctrine, in purity, sensibleness, in corruption, in sound speech not to be condemned, that he who is opposed may be ashamed, having nothing bad to say about you. Let slaves be subject to their own masters, well-pleasing in all things, not speaking against them, not stealing, but showing all good faith, that they may adorn the doctrine of our Savior God in all things. And uh, to start off what Pastor Paul writes us, I like to say that he, he uses, you know, he leads in just about every every discourse that he has as therefore, but. <laughs> so uh, just to recap on what we, what the what previous week we had talked about, was, I call it Paul's header for the discourse, that they, speaking of the Judaizers, know, profess to know God, but by their works they deny him being abominable and disobedient and worthless to every good work. And uh, overall the point, and what I put in my note here was, uh, if the Holy Spirit hasn't actually rejuvenated the spirit of a man, then the man is still worthless to any good work. Amen? That even our good works are as filthy rags, it says in the Old Testament. That there is nothing, if if there is not a work that is, that is, um, that could be standing for eternity, then it's not really worth anything. And the the kind of thing that I love, and, and sometimes when I'm singing or I'm talking to somebody, and I, I I get the sense that man, I think something we just did something that's going to stand for eternity, and the rest of my life could just be chaff, blown blown away by the wind. But I think that's what uh, what Pastor Paul is writing us here. And uh, so to kind of take it from the top, and we'll look at the common traits here in a second. You know, what Paul actually tells Titus is speak things that become sound doctrine. In some translations, they show this a little bit differently. But what stood out to me is that he talks about speaking things that become sound doctrine but then it's all behavior. So that according to Paul, it looks like there's something linked with behavior and doctrine. So it says, so here you see that Paul considers one's behavior to be an inherent trait of one's doctrine. That he shows that and like he writes elsewhere, uh, well, we could say like what's in Romans, I believe, the, uh, that uh, since God has worked into us this work, that we work out our faith with fear and trembling. The previous verse is saying God works in us his grace. <laughs> so we need to work out that grace. And uh, uh, we see what he tells the age man. A lot of this stuff is repeated. He, he really tends to repeat himself. What he's saying in temper here is actually the same term for being sober, not being given to much wine. It's a common, common, what he asks everybody to watch is be sober. And today I think that can go into other things too, people who want to smoke marijuana or get into other kind of chemicals. Same kind of thing. Be sober. Sensible and discreet. And, you know, when I, when I saw the sound, see, I, 
Um, well, you, not everybody may know this. I'm actually north. Originally, I'm from Northern California. I was uh, born up in Northern California, and I spent much of my growing up off, on the coast, um, living within a mile of the beach. Spent a lot of time on the ocean, in the ocean, <laughs> on the waves, and on the drifts, and and uh, you know when I see sound, I'm thinking, and I think that this could be something that gets carried over. When I see the word sound here, and soundness and faith, I I think of a maritime term, the soundness of a vessel. Is the vessel going to float? <laughs> is it going to is it going to keep the water out? Is it going to get you where it needs to go? And man, oh, yeah. I remember the first time when I was a kid and I was on a I was on a big fishing boat. It's probably about an eighty, ninety footer. And uh it was a pretty old boat. <laughs> and the swells that day were a solid probably between fifteen and twenty feet. Right? So fifteen feet up, fifteen feet down, hours at a time, right? And uh um but I got to as a young kid I got to I got to drive that, that boat back, the old Skipper, he had me sit up there, up on the helm, take the helm, and take it back into, take it back into port after that. But, uh, but I, I <laughs> so when, when I see the the term sound here, I'm thinking, okay, is the is is faith like a vessel? Is it the kind of faith that's going to be carrying all the way all the way throughout one's life in worship and walking with the Lord? Is that the faith? Is that the love? Is the soundness of love, faith, open, love, greatest is love, right? Soundness of love. And what we're charged with, sound in patience. And uh, aged women, reverent, not slanderers, not enslaved by much wine, teachers of good. And each one of these, uh, well, with the exception of, of aged men, Pastor Paul has what the desired result should be. He says, okay... Teacher, teachers, good teachers for the aged women, so that they may teach the younger women. And uh, same thing for young women, so that the word of God may not be blasphemed. And here's where we get into some controversy for pop culture. <laughs> but uh, when studying this, I actually found something very interesting here. Then Pastor Paul, he does this, both when speaking to the young women, or, or writing to Titus to teach the young women, and and for those who are slaves, bond servants, employees, whatnot. The term is, be subject to your own husbands. Be subject to your own masters. And when I saw that, I thought, oh, that's interesting, but it doesn't, you know, I mean, I've, I work under contracts, and I'm subject to the contract. It's, I don't think it's that that far off than what we already understand. In my contract, I've got a as an engineer, I've got a I've got a non-competition agreement. So that means while I'm on this contract and while I'm working full time here, any code that I write, they get a say for. They get to look at. During that time period of that contract, there's non, no competition. They get rights to the code that I write. And I'm not going to write code or work on any other projects during that time. That's my contract, and I'm subject to the terms of that contract. And by me subjecting myself and recognizing the contract and saying, okay, well, uh, no, I'm not going to take other things right now because this is my contract. And not everybody does that. (laughs) 
which is part of what I think Pastor Paul's trying to say, is that when we do this and we show ourselves as different than other people in the world, that it brings glory to God. That people who are in on these, these agreements say, wow, what's different about this person, this guy, this girl? And uh, we see subjection to the contract. Now, marriage as a covenant. I think same thing. We have subjection to the covenant, but now we also see that there's a, you know, in the case of bond servant and master, or it's a lot like being an employee today. They would to pay off a debt. You would you would have an agreement that you'd work a certain number of years to whoever that debt was to, and that's what being a bond servant was back in that day. That somebody could. Uh, could uh, could take out a loan, and if that wasn't payable, they'd say, okay, for a certain number of years, a certain period of time, you can pay off the loan by working for my enterprise. But then that is an agreement. And with this, this agreement, we still have the covenant between the man and the woman, the marriage covenant. And uh, so uh, much of what I see here is in the, is in the same sense as being subject to that agreement, that covenant, and also like Jesus is head of the church, that the man's head of the household. There is a, I don't know how to word this. See, I didn't even know I'd really even talk about this. Now I feel like I should. You've got a kid on you. You should have this. Yeah, well, yeah, but the, you know, the, 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 the idea is to present it as boiled down and simple as possible so that someone listening in, they can say, ah, I get it, and not speak about this one thing for 40 minutes. <laughs> so, um, You're doing a good job. Well, thanks. <laughs> Lay it out there and then make it. The we'll try, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, uh, let, me, let, me, uh, let, let me start with an example. And... Um, I see I see very many people uh women, ladies, girls who get damaged by the men in their lives, the fathers, the uncles, the people they trusted. And they get so spun out, often just for the whole lives, that there is that there is something very powerful in how they were designed and made that when something in those trusting relationships, when some when a trust is broken like that um, at certain levels and we're all guys, we're not going to get everything right, but we're talking about and we'll leave things to your imagination the boundaries that shouldn't be crossed that uh that the damage to the psyche and to to the human soul, uh, without the Lord's help, is almost impossible to pull out of. And these types of abuses, I think the last I heard, were somewhere it's at 70 or 80 percent of the the girls today. As by the time they're grown up, they have some have some trouble with these things. And the other thing that I see is. Uh, particularly out west where I'm originally from, where from the 60s and the 70s and the 90s woman type of mentality that they don't need anything. 
but so they go about their career and they get things, you know, and they build up a great career. It has nothing to do about intelligence, but but when they get to that point later on in life and they see other people, they have families and grandkids, that those ladies get very, very bitter. And I think right now people would hear me and say, hey, he's a chauvinist. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not talking. We can have a, you know, a gal who can be a vice president of a company married to a guy who's not. Okay. But in the house. There's a head, and ultimately that responsibility and the blame where the buck stops is going to be with the guy. And uh, that's not easy, but having gone through divorce, and I didn't necessarily want to go through it, but buck stopped with me. <laughs> and child support and those kinds of things, I took on myself. And... Uh, these things are I see this I see this over and I see this over and over again. And the some sometimes with these these gals they end up taking on some alternative lifestyles, uh, not being able to pull out of you know, and we're talking about matters of the soul not matters of intelligence or success and careers, but matters of the soul. So, but in the same way, I, I think I think with, with Paul's discourse here that we can compare that type of relationship with what he said, the young women and the men being subject to their own husbands as a similar type relationship as bond servant with the master, the employer, however we want to say that. Now, the other thing that I thought was interesting when I got into this, the young men, women, the keepers at home, and that term is actually the same term as guardian of the gate, guardian of the wall, keeper of the wall, watcher of the wall. And... You know, and when we see what it, I think some translations miss these things, but uh, this might not be so uh, so controversial. The uh, you know what's an interesting study sometime is looking at the book of Nehemiah and looking at uh, Nehemiah as as a picture of the Holy Spirit. And he was in service of the king and very trusted by the king. And Nehemiah, uh, being a cupbearer of the emperor, would have been the most trusted person in the kingdom. And obviously in the book of Nehemiah, you can see some of that friendship where the queen says, how long are you going to be gone? <laughs> We're going to miss you, right? But... As Nehemiah left, and he knew that, that his calling was to leave with the resources that he had to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. It's an amazing picture, I think, of how the Holy Spirit comes into the believer's life to rebuild the things that were torn down in us. Um, 
But when we talk about that, and there's different spheres of this, right? We can talk about how the Holy Spirit rebuilds us, but then as guys with households and children and other things to take care of, there's my own wall that the Lord works on, but then there's the family, the family wall. And frankly, I think most gals are more sensitive to being able to watch that wall than the guys are. I think for the most part, they tend to be more sensitive with that. They tend to be more engaged with kids. Um, Not always. But in particular, this was a period of time when when the, the operations of business were the responsibility for the man. In most cases, you know, Paul also had a friend, uh, I think her name was Lydia, who uh, had a business and had a church home as well. But what I saw there was the term, the Greek term for that was talk about being guardians and protectors as of a wall or a gate, like a gatekeeper. So Titus says he... As uh, Paul addresses Titus further, he talks about pattern of good works in purity, sensibleness, and incorruption, leading by example the young men for these things. And what he's saying here is uh, so that when men speak about you, the young men, when they speak about you, that they can say nothing bad about you because they also have no corruption, and the people who are saying bad things about Titus, trying to undercut, are just ashamed because of their own behavior. Well, we see how he so he talks about slaves and employees, bond servants, more like the employees today. Subject to their own masters, right? Sometimes that means not necessarily agreeing with certain policies or procedures, but carrying things out. <laughs> like what I've got to deal with this week. <laughs> uh, well pleasing, producing excellent work in all things, right? Going to board meeting, going to conference calls, being prepared, having things ready being excellent in all things, producing excellent work, fulfilling promises on time. We can roll that into a lot of things. Not speaking ill against, ill of the masters, employers. Not stealing anything. I've actually been very careful about not even taking pens and pads of paper and putting them on my bag. It's like, no, that one stays. This one's mine. (laughs) But all those things add up. Honest with time and honest with what is billed. And the end result is what uh, what Apostle Paul is is, is uh, desiring here. Saying that these things adorn or decorate the doctrine of Jesus, of God. And I got thinking about that, like, uh, you know, like we decorate a Christmas tree. Make it more appealing, attract the eye. We just stuck a pine tree up in our houses and 
wouldn't quite be as interesting. <laughs> Amen? But the, the behavior that we have makes, makes it more attractive to come before the Lord. That makes the faith more attractive. And the Lord's there anyways, but I got thinking that kind of like we're the, the shiny stuff on his Christmas tree. Yeah. And closing off, uh, turn that we can get the last page there. The next verse, he, he talks about grace, and uh, for saving grace of God has appeared to all men. And here's where things tie in, and I know this is kind of covered a little bit from last week, and touching into grace here a little bit. But this is a fascinating little word, charis, which is the same root to charismatic today, and the charismata is the, uh, the little gifts um, that he writes to us about in Corinthians. And the idea with this word is not so much like a like a king or a ruler just being generous when he doesn't have to. It's like, well, you deserve this and just, okay, I'll let you off. But it's actually, I see, almost almost a synonym to the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit kind of hides. <laughs> but but it's it's an intersection of well I'll just read that great the transcendence of the Holy Spirit in our natural experience bringing God's supernatural enablement enablement and His creativity in order to impact mankind by breaking natural process of decay with His supernatural power that when we look at that it's actually like the charisma of the gifts it is a a supernatural breathing. And breaking the chains, and breaking the bondage, so that we can walk with them with the newness of life that He breathes in us. So the behavior is not just leave it with just behaviors; it's <coughs> part of the doctrine. But the idea, and the next thing He's going into is that grace is the fuel for those behaviors. It's how things, it's how we get our energy to move on in a relationship with the Holy Spirit, walking with Him, right? Jesus went up, Holy Spirit came down. He's here with us. I love that part so much. Um, let's see if we left anything out here. Uh, you know, what, what I'm getting out of this, what I'm hearing you say, is it's... It's more than walking the talk. It's actually being in in, in such a uh, the physical state that without the talk, somebody can see the walk at a distance by just how you are. Mm-hmm. More or less being, how you're walking, being inside how, the word and walking on that path. Yeah. 
be, be in close to the Holy Spirit. Pastor Paul also said that if you walk in the Spirit, that you won't be subject to the desires of the flesh. I read a book here a couple of years ago. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was written by a guy who's got a prophetic ministry now and was a, an operating Satanist for years. And he talks about going into Home Depot and then just following people who he knew were Christians. Like, wait, this guy's different. I can feel it. And he'd just follow them around for a couple of like, this guy's just different, man. This guy's different. That, you know, they can tell. And especially with someone like that who'd gone so far into darkness <laughs> that when they stand as someone who's not, it's going to be a pretty bright light. And not everybody is going to be quite so tuned. But... Uh, but yeah, I see it's a it's completely about a relationship with the term of grace that that the pastor Paul uses. You know, I I, I had this uh, I had a Bible study in my house years ago, you know, a bunch of us kids, and some of those guys we had you know Catholics and Baptists and Methodists and Pentecost, a whole bunch of them. We just loved each other. We come worship the Lord is incredible. Some of them went to a a grace conference. I remember this, and they talked two days about this mystery of grace. And I was like, I don't see how it's a mystery. He, he tells us exactly what it is. Where the concept had gotten so uh, um, uh, out of shape from what the Bible and what the original words were talking about for this. Um, but what I see is a term to describe what happens to the world when the Holy Spirit shows up, when the Spirit of Jesus is here. And it's a closeness and a relationship and a walking with Him. That's what I see with this. And I, I think uh, I think some people, they get into hyper-grace with this. That means I can do anything. It's like, well, you can't. <laughs> doesn't the Scripture refer to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of grace? I can't think of that. That seems to grace. sound familiar. That would be an interesting study. Yeah. Well, verse 12 says, teaching us, uh, the subject is the grace of God, what he's doing, brings salvation, superior to all men, teaching us, denying ungodliness, we should put soberly. The Spirit teaches. That's, that's two, two kinds of grace right there, then. Yeah. There, there is another term that I found, and I didn't write it down because... Last time I stood up before you guys, I went on way too long. <laughs> and I knew that if I did that, it would be, poof, there goes the night again, right? But um, there was one other term that did actually very specifically mean is as a, uh, as, you know, given, um, you know, like a like a, a rich ruler would say, I'll forgive your debt, go ahead. But in just a rich ruler forgiving a debt, there's nothing supernatural with that. This term of grace, charis, we see it has the idea of something life breathed by God in it. Right? And it's the same term, it's the same word for for the gifts of the Spirit is charismata. It's the same <laughs> you know, so it is it's a, a dynamic and what I see, and I'm, I was a I was a first place artist and all that, so I'm I've got the artistic, I was an arts major and all that stuff. And I, one thing that, that, that drew me as an artist was the creativity of God and the Holy Spirit. And what I realized when I was, as a young, you know, starving artist, <laughs> what I realized was 
that when I was with, when I was in the spirit, my own creativity would, <laughs> right? But the spirit of the Lord is there is more creativity, and that's you know, and there's creativity in 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 reaching people and touching people and loving people and healing people, and it's this common trait that is just shines like a bright light to me. Uh, you know, as as a younger man, as I was learning about the Lord, and and uh, that it drew me in. What I see is like more or less something is what you're saying is the way the Holy Spirit is is God saying that's His grace to us is what He through the Holy Spirit by grace. And the Holy Spirit's giving us grace to do to others. But I'm getting yeah. on that. Yeah, and it's just, you know, the in, in the Old Testament, another really cool word study is getting into the book of uh, Genesis, first couple of chapters, where it talks about uh, God uh, speaking the word, and the Spirit was hovering over the face of the waters. And uh, so we see the Father speaking the word, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, creative force, and he is just ready and eager. And we see the the, the wisdom chapter in, in Proverbs as a the most articulate and poetic display of what the Holy and who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does than anything else in the Bible. It's the wisdom chapter. And and you we the King Solomon writes about what I believe is his relationship with the Holy Spirit. And calling the Holy Spirit wisdom. Because if we don't know Holy Spirit even really has a name other than the Holy Spirit because he's so holy. <laughs> but, you know, he kind of hides, <laughs> right? But uh, but we get to see in that chapter how excited the Lord the Holy Spirit is in reaching us and in healing us and how excited he is when people come in to the communion table. It's an incredible picture, right? And uh, the, so when God speaks the word, the, the, the spirit, the word for spirit is actually breath. And it's the same thing in the Greek when uh, look at John, first couple of chapters of John in the New Testament. Um, is the, the, the word is pneuma for spirit, literally breath. And uh, uh, that's, well, we can see the, you know, we can see God as far as the classical, you know, description of Trinity goes all throughout the Old Testament. It's everywhere. Picked me up, put me in. That's, that's, that's 
<laughs> I didn't mess it up. The first part of Timothy, Pastor Paul says, but basically, well, I'll, I'll paraphrase it, basically, but that's why we're here. We're here for these guys. And he says, when they start to walk in a manner that's um, where they, they leave those old things behind and they can be good teachers and they're good servants, take those guys who are walking in maturity and leaving that old stuff behind, those are the guys set up as elders. So he's got a he's got a different problem at, at the at the two areas. Um, so my, my my point is 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 this. Um, I, I think the only real difference between uh, a hypocrite and someone who's really walking with the Lord is is going to be transparency. What? Transparency. Coming and humbling ourselves before the Lord. Lord, I messed this up. Go to our brother. I'm sorry I said that. I'm sorry I did that. All right. And when we don't do that, we become the hypocrites. Add the humility also. Humility. And so you know. And but but like like Paul wrote to Timothy. Well, that's why we're here. Like okay, to teach people, to help them get up and start walking on their own two feet, not running them out of the church or right. Um, even though he's he's taking a stand against Judaism, he's letting them know it's not anything goes. Right. Exactly. He's just Tom, you have Yeah, I mean, if you, in this first sentence, from but you speak things which become sound sound doctrine, to God shall not be blasphemed. Colon or comma. All of those things in there is talking about how to live a life that is uh, so that your example of what it is to, to believe in God and to live a life like Christ wants us to live and the Holy Spirit leads us to live is that it would not, people would not use you as the, not you individually, but any of us as an example to blasphemy God because, oh, you say you go to church, you say you believe in this, you say this, but look, you're over here on Saturday night falling down drunk, falling out of the bar. Or I saw you written up in the newspaper where you were arrested for something. You know, and and that opens the, those uh, stumbling, open the door for people to blaspheme God. I don't think, this. I don't read this as, as he's telling the, the people of the church not to blaspheme God. Given the uh, opening a door of opportunity for non-believers to blaspheme God, you know, your worship of your God is no different than worshiping Apollo or Zeus or any of the other gods. What makes you so special? Yeah. You know, and uh, that, and it's easy to get sidetracked because Paul does write long sentences. <laughs> well, and there's examples <laughs> of that. There's examples in uh, if you go to uh, CNN's website. Or MSNBC, we know any Christian that goofs up, they use it as an as a an example to blaspheme God, or blaspheme His Word, or blaspheme His people, and it it is it's almost a, a daily occurrence that somebody's going to take a shot. Yeah, but you need to understand there's a movement strongly led out of Orlando, Florida. And you use the word, uh, and it's Clark Whitten, 
the hyper grace, the hyper grace movement. And there are people who call who name the name of Jesus who are picking and choosing what they're going to what they're going to follow and and when your question came up I want to remind you of of Jesus talking about the parable of the 10 virgins there were five virgins and five foolish five wise and five foolish and I think the connotation is they were all virgins so they were all believers I'm on this is my spin that they were they were all believers but when the bridegroom came, only five went in, and five were sent, weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. So it's, it's, I think that's what it comes to about, back to Titus, about blasphemy. Um, are you ready? Are you prepared? Are you living? Are you well, prepared? It's, it's are you living? Real, you? I just see it as it looks like, wow, you know, I, I grew up in a charismatic church, so it's kind of, I think some of my thinking is more like, well, not not grace, like I can do whatever I want, but I can kind of mess up this if I want, or if I mess up, then God will forgive. You know, it's kind of like just it's okay just to fall down a lot. But at some point, it's like I'm I'm being challenged by this going. Um, at some point, it's time to be sound in faith, sound in love, sound in patience, sensible, temperate, reverent. You know, all of these things, because at some point, what I am doing is. Now covered by grace and forgiven, and you know, all that stuff is there. But what I am doing, or we are doing, or whatever it is, is actually blaspheming, or my my version says uh, dishonoring the Lord. Maybe not intentionally, but anyway, it's just challenging. That's why I was asking. You know, what do y'all? Well, and I think I, I really think that you know we wow. we're now. I don't think any of us. I know that in Christianity, there's there is a camp of people think that human beings, we human beings can actually become perfect, completely sinless here on earth. I'm not one of those. <laughs> I'm not in that camp where I say that's actually, I say we have to remain humble. We have to continually ask for forgiveness. And uh, I know that for, for myself, I, I consider that you know the times when when I haven't been able to stand or when I've stumbled as as a um, as just driving a nail in the hand again, mm-hmm. you know, I, I see that for myself, and you know, and and I think in the long run we can kind of get to a point where, you know, if 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 the world sees that that we're forgiving and we are called to be, and the world sees the relationship with the Holy Spirit in our lives, I mean, the closest we can be to the Holy Spirit the better. And as we're walking with him, as he as he we get closer to him, it you know, it, it's like this. It's like this. Um a couple days ago I told one of my kids to to go flush the muddy water out of the chicken coop water. Is <laughs> the chickens they get running around and it gets really muddy and they you know we don't want to have sick birds, right? We have some really good eggs. So so well you gotta flush it out. And they just stand there for a minute. It goes like, no, 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 it's still muddy. You got to flush it out. It's like, here, just do this. Hold that hose, put it up over the chicken coop, turn on the water, come and check it in a couple minutes. Check it again. Just let it all flush out. Let it all flush out. Longer it's there, the better. Get it all nice and clean. He can turn off the water and come inside. Right? 
the longer we're in the Holy Spirit, the more he can flush us out. <coughs> Amen? I didn't even know I was going to say that. More or less, God said, when I send Jesus, no one else is going to be perfect until he comes again to win the battle. Right. So more or less, we're not going to be perfect. Yeah, we've, we've we, got to we deal can, with our jars of clay. We can try, See, but, but we're not going to get there. Here, here's the beauty in all this that makes, oh, I just get so excited about it. Is jars of clay, and we haven't been living that long in comparison with the, the devil and his the phone, all that kind of stuff. But here we can live, you know, 10 years, 15, 20, 40, 50, say however many, we, we can live this time. And the Holy Spirit moves in, in power, sometimes healing us and enabling us to take these walks side by side and go kick the devil's butt. <laughs> guess what? You're still dirt. And we're still jars of clay. We're still jars of clay. You, you, when you're in that dirt is in the master's hand, then he's getting something out of you. Yeah, exactly. I remember years ago, and <laughs> I was sitting in a 7-Eleven parking lot. I had this hot rod van, quickest van in Texas, but uh, sitting there with a buddy of mine, I had a little couch in the back, and we got some junk food, and we're just talking and praying, and we're talking about some stuff we're doing, reaching some kids, and and this concept's like, yeah, we're talking about just jars of clay, and how we're broken, we're, we're not even whole, he chooses us and picks us out, we're not even whole. But the one thing that we thought, we got talking about this, and then when we realized this, we couldn't stop laughing for it. It could have been a half an hour. Was that as damaged vessels, you don't have to even tip them over to get something out of it. God keeps pouring in. It just goes all over the place, right? Amen? So when we're damaged, we actually tend to get more. You got it. You got it. Because those of us who were forgiven much, need much. Yeah. More, Lord. Does anybody on the phone have a question? Let's see. Let's see. Our answer to prayer, bro. <laughs> hey, guys. Anybody got any input for us? No, other than uh, Great. Anybody else? <clears throat> this Jeff. No, I really enjoyed the teaching. It's a lot of good, good nuggets. I think the one that I'll take away is, uh, well, it's not new revelation. Just hearing the way Matt said it was, uh, you know, our doctrine and our behavior should line up. I thought that was excellent. Yeah, that was good. That was good. Well, thank you, brothers. Love you guys. Have a great evening.